0: Please stand as you're able for the reading of the gospel. Uh, From Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't give up and get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, those who seek find, and those who knock, the door will be opened.
1: Good morning. Let's uh, begin by praying. Oh, Spirit, open our ears and our hearts to hear and receive from you. Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Amen. So whenever I travel to some place where english is not the language that is spoken i love to learn a few phrases in advance that can help me communicate it's really amazing how much you how how far you can get with just a few memorized phrases um, at the same time the limits of my language learning in these places sometimes gets me into trouble i remember there was a time 8 years ago i went to barcelona i was leading a retreat for students studying abroad with varsity, and I got there a little bit early, and I'd heard that there is this really, really, really good kind of ham, hamon, that you can get there. It's from this specific region, and then in this specific region, the particular pigs are fed this special acorn, I think is what it is, or nut. But For whatever reason, all this combination is supposed to create this, just the the most delicious jamón that you can find in Spain. So I decided, I got directions to a market that was outside of the touristy places, and I memorized the phrases that I would need. I don't speak Spanish or Catalan, the two languages spoken there. But I memorized the languages that I would need to order and purchase this jamón. And my plan was, it's kind of expensive. So my plan was, I just wanted enough for a sandwich. Like I was, I got a little bread, a little bit of cheese, and I just wanted a little bit of jamón so I could try this in a sandwich. So I got there. I said my memorized phrases to the woman at the stall and to my relief, she understood me and went to get the hamon. Then, however, she started saying all these other words to me that I did not understand. uh, And it seemed to indicate she was asking me a question. So I just stood there and nodded. Well, a few minutes later, I left that place with about 10 times the amount of hamon that I had intended to buy for my little sandwich, and I ate it for every meal for the next few days because I was like, this is expensive. I'm not letting this go to waste. Um, in college, I spent eight months in Tanzania studying Kiswahili, so I went a bit deeper into my language learning at that point. Um, about, eight, uh, about eight weeks into... I, I'd spent eight weeks taking a course, and then my friend Wendy, who is Tanzanian, invited me to go spend a couple of weeks um, in a rural area with her family, with her Bibi, her grandmother, and her aunts and cousins. Now, Wendy Wendy was a good teacher, and she helped me, but she refused to be my constant translator-interpreter during this time. I think that she knew that I needed to feel the frustration of not being able to communicate. I had learned a lot of vocabulary. I had gras- I had a grasp on the basic grammatical structure of the language. I was doing great on my quizzes, um, but I needed, to, I needed to really get the limits of my communication skills, my language learning. And I did during those weeks. I just, I wanted so badly to be able to communicate more fluently with the people I was Meeting. I wanted to be able to express more of myself, my gratitude for their hospitality, and I wanted to be able to ask them questions and get to know who they were. When you're learning a language, memorizing some phrases is a really good way to start. Um, But the goal of language learning is communication and connection. And to get there, we have to have that frustration, that longing for more, to be able to deepen um, and propel us into deeper learning. So right now, we are in the midst of four weeks here at Washington Community Fellowship where we are diving into the practice of prayer. Last week, week one, we focused on prayer as talking to God. We looked at the prayer that Jesus taught his followers to say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, etc. I'm not sure when I first learned that prayer, but it is so helpful to have that lodged into my memory. A little bit like memorized phrases are really helpful when you are learning to speak a new language. But if that is all we have, then we'll start to experience the limits of our communication in prayer. This week, we are looking at prayer as talking with God, not just talking to God, not just saying things to God, but talking with, more of the back and forth of conversation. Prayer that is more fluid, prayer that can improvise, like a musician who is so comfortable on their instrument. All of the notes and chords and keys are open to them um, and just create endless possibilities of music. So I have to say first though, that preaching on prayer feels particularly challenging, not because there is not enough to say about prayer. Volumes have been written on prayer that could fill their own libraries. There is no shortage of words to say about prayer. And that is the danger because as Christians, we could spend hours and hours filling our minds with knowledge and ideas about prayer And never actually pray. And I can personally testify that, much to my dismay, possessing shelves of books on prayer and even reading them, even reading some of them, doesn't necessarily equal a deeper prayer life. Prayer is truly learned only through practice, prayer is learned by praying. Of course, as we see in the scripture readings from last week and this week, Jesus does use words to teach his disciples to pray. But I am convinced that his teaching, these words, came before and after experiential learning. I am sure that the disciples most deeply learned how to pray by observing Jesus pray and by praying with Jesus. So the danger of preaching a prayer, of preaching a sermon on prayer, is that I fear that we might walk away possessing perhaps some new knowledge on prayer without growing in our longing for prayer, without letting that teaching on prayer lead us to a deeper prayer life. Growth in prayer must originate from a place of longing for more. If you remember from last week's scripture, Jesus' teaching session on prayer, when he teaches this, what we call the Lord's Prayer, it originates with a question, a longing from his friends. Lord, teach us to pray, they ask him. And so right now, I want you to consider your prayer life. And I even invite you, if you have a scrap of paper, or if you have, you know, an app that you write notes on, on your device, or If that's possible, if not, just bring this to mind. But I ask you to consider, um, first, when you consider your prayer life, or just prayer in general, what are three words that come to mind? Don't overthink it. Just, you know, write down or think of the three, three words that come to mind. After you've thought of that, second, how would you like to describe your prayer life? What would you like to be characteristics of your practice and experience of prayer? So just take a moment to think of that, write it down if you're able. So I want you to hold on to that. What is your longing for prayer? And perhaps what you wrote down or thought of maybe will shift as you consider more. I have worked in campus ministry for um, almost 17 years, and my current job title is spiritual formation and prayer specialist. Yeah, so I'm a specialist, guys. (laughs) Of course, this is merely an HR title. They only have so many options you can get. (laughs) Um, Because as we said last week, we are all beginners in prayer, and that is true. Um, But in my role, I have the privilege of getting to hear a lot of people and especially a lot of people who are in professional Christian ministry talk with me about their prayer life. And so I know the secret is that everybody, including myself, struggles with prayer. In my experience, the number one thing that I hear from people about their prayer life is a desire to pray more or pray more consistency, something like that consistently, um, which is a beautiful thing to want. And if you relate to that, I would encourage you to keep pressing deeper to see what might be beneath that. If you feel like you want to pray more, or perhaps it's more that you feel like you should pray more, why? For example, underneath that, is there a deeper longing for intimacy and connection with God? Do you want to receive more love or grow in your love for God? Or underneath, is there a deeper longing to be more dependent and to have more trust? Um, Do you long to be more attuned to God's spirit in the world and in your life? Or do you long for more peace uh, to transform your anxieties and concerns into intercessions that may actually impact the world? I encourage you to hold on to and cultivate those longings, because that is what will lead you to prayer. So when we want to pray more with God, but we find that we don't, there may be a few things going on. Perhaps like when we are learning a new language, we need to expand our vocabulary, or to use the analogy of mastering improvisation on an instrument It helps to learn different chord structures and some music theory and practice different types of songs if you want to feel comfortable making up your own. So perhaps we need some helpful frameworks and categories for prayer. And just to give you a peek ahead, this is ultimately where we are going today. Um, We'll talk about some categories and frameworks for prayer. Now, sometimes we need new tools to figure out logistically and practically how to pray amidst the reality of our busy days and our particular life and the reality of our distracted minds and our distracted bodies. So we won't be getting to that today, but I really love talking about it. So feel free to talk with me about that at another time. Um, But ultimately, prayer is relational And often, what blocks us in prayer is rooted in something relational. Real conversation, talking with God, is not about saying the perfect or correct words. It's about cultivating a relationship with the one to whom you are praying. And so I think that the most important thing for us to pay attention to as we're longing to pray more with God, and as we're learning to pray with God, is the image of God that we have as we pray. This is so important. And Pastor Andrew touched on this last week because the first line of the prayer that Jesus teaches his followers to say to God, the first line is an image for God, our Father, Abba, Daddy. The first thing in prayer is to remember that we are praying to one who is not distant or disinterested, but to a God who calls us beloved children. God invites us into this intimate, relational image. In today's scripture, in Luke 11, which today's scripture directly follows, last week's, Jesus presses into how images of God that we hold as we come to prayer impact our conversation with God. It impacts who we are praying to. Who we are praying to, how we understand God to be toward us and toward the world this will shape how we are in conversation with God. So, in the first story, in Luke 11, we have two stories, and we have a little teaching in the middle. In the first story we heard today, we are invited to imagine a friend. Not a mere stranger. You know, this is somebody who we have relational ties with. And the request in itself is not totally unreasonable. You need some bread for an unexpected guest. However, It is the middle of the night. Nobody wants to be woken up at midnight like this, especially for a non-emergency request. This ask is outside of what is appropriate. It's overstepping the bounds of this friendship relationship. And frankly, the friend being woken up and asked is not happy about it. They're kind of pissed off. (laughs) They are inconvenienced inconvenienced and annoyed. They do not want to give you what you were asking for. And yet, the conclusion of the story is that you get it. Not because your friend feels anything warm or nice towards you, but because of the shameless audacity of the asking. The bold riskiness of the ask is what is honored here. So, what about us? Do we imagine that God might consider us a little bit like this grumpy neighbor? We are on friendly terms. No, God is our friend. But God is kind of annoyed at being bothered about our issues that don't really concern him. God is really hoping we could just get by on our own for a bit and not come knocking at the door in the middle of the night. God would really like an uninterrupted night of sleep, please. In the second story, in Luke, we are invited to consider our own impulse to give. Jesus asks us now to imagine ourselves as the person being asked for something. This time, the relationship of asker to giver is deeper than the friendship of the first story. Imagine that you are a parent and your child asks for something. I think that Jesus is trying to bring in some humor here. It's comical to imagine giving your child, whom you love, a snake when they ask for bread, or a scorpion instead of egg. It's absurd that a loving parent would purposely give their child something that harms them instead of something that nourishes them. Of course we want to give good gifts to our children. But can we believe that God is like that towards us? Can we believe that God's relational orientation toward us is the love and kinship of a loving father to their child? A parent who is eager more eager than we could imagine from our own experience to give good gifts that nourish and bring life. <clears throat> the image of God as the father who is eager to give good gifts to his child reminds me of the image of God in Isaiah forty nine fifteen, where God says, Can a woman forget her nursing child? Or show no compassion for the child of her womb. Though she may forget, yet I will not forget you. In this Isaiah passage, we are invited into the image of God as a mother attached and attentive to the care and needs of her dependent infant. And because every image of God is limited and breaks down at some point from our human understanding, in both of these passages, We are called to remember that where our human understanding or experience of a caring father or an attentive mother might break down, God is so much more. God breaks through rather than is confined by the limitation of the language of our images. In the center between these stories, Jesus spells his point. Ask, ask, ask. If there is one thing we are to remember when we are learning to pray, it is that God loves to be approached by us in prayer. God is eager for us to interrupt, to knock, to bring our needs and concerns. And the image of God, of who God is that we bring to prayer, will shape our prayers. It will shape our own eagerness to come to God. God is not the grumpy neighbor God is like the loving father. God is like the attached and attentive mother. So I'm currently uh, in the midst of a nine-month prayer experience, prayer journey, that is called the Ignatian Spiritual Exercises. If you haven't heard of this, in short, it is a 500-year-old program designed by St. Ignatius of Loyola, who founded the Jesuits and it combines prayer, scripture, meditations and other practices and be, along with meeting with a spiritual director with the goal of deepening one's relationship with Jesus. At the core, it involves a daily commitment to a certain length of and a specific format of prayer. So every day every day every time we come to prayer, the very first step is to take a minute or a few minutes, however long it takes, to become aware of God's loving gaze on us and to simply receive the gaze of God's love. It's kind of like a check on our image of God. Are we grounded in the reality that God loves us more than we dare to imagine in that very moment? Are we aware of God's loving gaze on us? Are we open to receiving that love? So for the first six weeks of this program, my cohort and I, we were asked to pause two additional times throughout our day and practice noticing and receiving God's gaze of love on us. I can't begin to explain how profound and telling this practice was for me. I put timed reminders on my phone so that I would stop in the middle of whatever I was doing and try to draw my attention to God looking on me in love in that moment, whether I was doing something important or something tedious. Pretty quickly, I noticed how hard it was to pay attention to God's love for me when I was feeling irritated or after I had been impatient with people I love. Could I know God's gaze of love when I was anxious? or when I was not feeling particularly lovable. I would invite anyone, everyone, to try this gaze of love practice. It's a simple practice, but it will reveal so much about how you understand God to feel toward you. It will change and correct some of the unhelpful images of God that you might not even be aware that you are bringing to prayer. I truly believe that this simple practice of drawing your attention to God's loving gaze on you at different times through your day may be the best starting place for growing one's life of prayer. Because as we see in today's scripture, how we understand God to be toward us directly impacts whether and how we will talk with God. My hope today is that we will leave longing for more conversation with God in our life. That's my first hope. My second hope is that we will leave feeling equipped and confident that we know where to start. So now I'm going to offer some categories of prayer. Some rhythms that, might, that we might bring um, to cultivate prayerful conversation with God. Gratitude, lament, petition, and intercession. But for each of these categories, I want us to pay attention to longing and image. What is the longing that brings us to this kind of prayer? How do we cultivate that longing? And what is the image of God that we need for this kind of prayer? So first, gratitude. The longing that brings us to gratitude is a longing to live into the reality of God's good gifts. If receiving God's loving gaze is entry to prayer, when we step into and receive God's love, the response is gratitude. Gratitude is the starting place for our conversational talking with God. Now, gratitude is not toxic positivity. Gratitude is not pretending that something that is awful is actually good. Or to go back to today's scripture, gratitude is not pretending that a snake is bread or a scorpion is an egg. And gratitude does not mean that we don't make space for the hard things. But gratitude lets us live into the reality that our lives are a gift to be received. What is the image of God that we need? God is essentially giver. Our very existence, all of creation, is an overflowing of the self-giving love of the Trinity. The story of God is the story of God giving generously everything that is needed for life and flourishing and relationship. In Jesus, we see the fullness of God the giver. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And for the joy set before him, Jesus gave himself on the cross. The generosity of God the giver is the center of the gospel. Gratitude is like new eyeglasses that have a proper prescription. As we practice gratitude, we see more and more clearly the gifts and grace that is woven into the ordinary of our lives. And it positions us to be in right relationship with God, the giver. Gratitude is not merely a step in prayer. It is the heart and soul of our relationship with God. For several years now, naming and praying gratitude has been an important practice for Brian and me, my husband Brian and me. It has been a lifeline during hard times, and it has taught us to look for God's gifts. And in that, it has allowed us to experience more of God's grace in our everyday. In fact, probably the most consistent spiritual practice that we do as a family is gratitude. Not every day, but regularly. Usually after dinner, uh, Brian, my daughter Bea, and I, we go around the table and we name our gratitudes from the day. The rule is that it has to be specific and it has to be something that you're genuinely grateful for. Now, lest anyone get an idealized picture of our family's spiritual practices, I will tell you, and in fact, Bea really wanted me to tell you all of this, that she instituted a silly gratitude practice. This is where we go around and make up something that would be really, really silly to be grateful for and it usually involves potty language. So that's our real reality. Um, We do a round of real gratitudes, and then we go and do a round of silly gratitudes. But then we go back to a round of real gratitudes, and then usually another round of silly gratitudes. But even with the silliness, if I had to choose one spiritual practice or habit to give to my daughter, it is gratitude. To know how to notice and name with thanksgiving the ordinary and beautiful gifts from each day and to recognize God as the giver. So in this moment right now, I invite you to consider what are you grateful for today? Perhaps even write it down. So if gratitude is speaking with God about the good in our life and world, then lament is speaking with God about the bad in our life and world. Lament is speaking with God about the painful, the injustice, the suffering. Do we know how to talk with God about these things? I think that sometimes our prayer life becomes stale or stifled because we do not know how to lament with God. Or we are uncomfortable with bringing our lament to God. And so we just sit with our anger and our questions. Or we bring our complaints to everyone else except God, and we miss out on that relational experience. I was talking with a friend about their hesitation to lament with God about some really hard things, justifiably lamentable things going on. And they expressed that deep down, they kind of imagine that God will respond to them with a divine smackdown, a divine putting them in their place if they were to truly voice their lament. And I wonder if we sometimes feel this way. But the Psalms are filled with prayers of lament. Perhaps a third of the Psalms include lament. Jesus prayed Psalms of lament. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says, it is no wonder that the church has intuitively avoided these Psalms they lead us into dangerous acknowledgement of how life really is. They lead us into the presence of God where everything is not polite and civil. They cause us to think unthinkable thoughts and utter unutterable words. So what is the image of God that we need in order to lament as we talk with God? We need to know that we are praying with a God who loves justice, a God who rights wrongs. We are praying with Jesus who overturns unjust tables in anger. This is the God to whom we lament. When we lament in prayer, we only do so because we believe that God would care, that God does care. We are are calling upon God to be who God is. In his book, Prophetic Lament, A Call for Justice in Troubled Times, Sung Chan Ra says, Lament is an act of protest. As the lamenter is allowed to express indignation and even outrage about the experience of suffering, the lamenter talks back to God and ultimately petitions him for help in the midst of pain. The one who laments can call out to God for help, and in that outcry there is hope and even the manifestation of praise. Or as Ian Voskamp says, has said, lament is a cry of belief in a good God, a God who has his ears to our hearts, a God who transfigures the ugly into beauty. And so I invite you to take a moment now and consider what in your life and what in the world needs to be lamented with God. Lament naturally leads us to petition and intercession this brings us back to the message of today's scripture ask 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 don't hesitate to ask god loves for us to ask for what we need petition and intercession are like two sides of the same coin petition is when we ask god to act on our own behalf and intercession is when we ask god to act on behalf of someone else To bring our petitions to God is to acknowledge our need. It is to acknowledge that we are creatures and God is creator. That at our core, we are dependent beings. And when we live into our dependence on God, we become more human. Asking is vulnerable. It is risky. To ask is an act of faith. In my own prayer life, I have had to work through. I am still working through, in fact, my hesitation to ask. I am uncomfortable with the vulnerability of asking. I would rather God would just do things without me having to ask for it. I'm afraid of the disappointment if my prayer is not answered as I'd hoped. But God wants me to ask, and so I do. And as I ask, I also pray that God would shift and align my longings and desires with his longing and desires for me. Similarly, similarly in intercession, sometimes I don't know how exactly to pray for someone or for a situation, what to ask for. So I often start my prayers of intercession by asking God, how do you want me to pray for this person or this situation? What do you long for in this situation? I sometimes pray by imagining that I am holding the person and their need before God, Intercession is a priestly act of standing in in between for someone. Um, It is an act of love. In intercession, we bring a person or a situation into the healing light of God. Friends, God loves to be in conversation with you. God longs to cultivate relationship with you in prayer. God enjoys being with you in the midst of your real life. God knows what your life is really like during the week, and God loves to be with you in the midst of that. Even when you're half distracted, God enjoys being with you. Prayer is only learned by practicing it. And so as we leave today, my hope is that you would leave with a longing to talk with God in prayer this week. And when you do... Pay attention, some four things to remember. Pay attention to your image of God. Practice knowing God's gaze of love on you. Talk with God about good things, gratitude. Talk with God about bad things, lament. And ask, ask, ask in petition and intercession. Well, I feel like it is only fitting for us to pray (laughs) as I end. So pray with me. Um, and as we pray, oh God, you love each of us here so much. You love this community, and we just we notice and receive your love for us in this moment. Oh God, we are grateful for the love and the life that you give. We are grateful that you love to talk with us. We are grateful that you are a God of justice who hears our lament and responds. And we are grateful that you tell us to ask, to ask, to ask. Oh, Jesus, would you do in us what we can't do for ourselves, would you cultivate our longing to be with you, to speak with you, to pray with you? Would you teach us how to pray? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.